eventually we got it through council um, and came to the time where we got <laughs> official build, build estimates and realised that it's not going to work. You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello and welcome to episode 91 of the show. Thanks for joining me. Got another great show coming up with a developer who has gone from struggling with his first project to running multiple sites in the space of a few years. Before we get to that, here's a little of what I've been up to with my projects. Construction progress has slowed down on my townhouse project thanks to wet weather and trade shortages. The last month was about half of the month before, whereas normally I would be expecting activity to ramp up at this stage. It's frustrating, but there's only so much that can be done. And try as I might, the weather continues to defy my instructions. My other project is still in the pre-application design phase as we work through the scheme and different options to determine the highest and best use. We're still a while away from having a planning submission ready. The other exciting thing that recently happened for me was that hard copies of my new book arrived from the printer in readiness for me releasing it to the world. The book is titled Become a Million Dollar Property Developer an insider's guide to wealth, fulfillment, and glory, and shares my property development story, along with what I've learned along the way. It's a must-read for anyone aspiring to become a property developer. It has been in the works for more than a year, so it's very exciting to finally have the printed copy in my hands. In the next episode, I will have more details about how you can get your hands on it. But if you would like an advanced copy, then drop me an email at justin at propertydeveloperpodcast.com. And speaking of my property development journey, part of that includes the online training course I've put together for people who want to get into property development. So if you aspire to become a property developer, then check out the property developer training at www.propertydevelopertraining.com. And check out all the content that's available to help you get started on your first small-scale property development project. Or if you want to find out how ready you might be to become a developer, then take my free quiz at www.propertydevelopertraining.com forward slash quiz. And for all the latest updates from my projects and what I'm up to, you can find me on Insta and Facebook under the handle of Property Developer Podcast. Be sure to check out the silly Top Gun-inspired post I made this week. I'm sure it'll give you a bit of a giggle. Okay, just before we get to this week's guest, during the discussion, we make mention of a previous guest on the show, Lei Feng, who appeared in episode 89. Lei and I discussed how you can take your developing business to the next level through leverage and scale and how a change in perspective can transform your thinking. 10 years ago, I'm the guy who walking up the ladder from the arbitrator skill. Now, every deal I look, I start from the top because once you start from top, everything became a lot easier. I had a great chat with Lay, so be sure to go back and take a listen to episode 89. All right, on to today's guest, Bahia Komak from EQ Property Group. This is a nice discussion for me because Bahia, or Baz, 
contacted me years ago after listening to the podcast outlining his desire to get into property developing. And so now we come full circle with him being a guest on the show to talk about his journey. Baz is now running multiple development projects and has come a long way since selling his small business and making the leap into property. Baz really struggled to get some traction with his property developing and his first project, a small three-unit site, was almost a total disaster before he turned it around by changing course. In this chat, we cover how mentoring transformed how Baz approached developing, some differences between project types, and the unusual decision-making process that led him to take up property developing. This conversation will be inspiring for anyone that is struggling with a sticky project and wanting to take their developing to the next level, as Baz is an example of how you can go from zero to something significant in a few short years. So let's get into it by finding out what food Baz would eat until he was sick. I'd have to say it's definitely Afghan food, which is uh, what my heritage is. And yeah, I could definitely eat that until I'm sick. Well, you'll have to be a little bit more specific. We don't go for just food groups here. You've got to give us something uh, specific. I'd say, I'd say it would be the mantu, which is like a dumpling um, with a tomato-based uh, sauce on it. That, that would be a food that I'd eat until I'm sick. And how big are these dumplings? Uh, they're about, let's say, if I could give you an actual size, you know, f- similar to um, the Chinese-style dumplings that you'd eat in a you know, Chinese, a very similar size and uh, feel to it. So just the right size where you think, oh, I could just have one more. That's pretty much right, yeah. <laughs> and you do have a lot more. <laughs> and you end up having more than one more. all right well look it's great to have you on the podcast at last Uh, you and I have uh, been friends for quite some time and you've had an interesting property journey into property development so we'll get into that but give us a bit of a background about yourself and how you got into property yeah sure so I had a um, insurance business for tradies uh, which I sold about four years ago um, and I had that since uh, 2011, I think it was. And essentially um, what we used to do is we used to, you know, work with tradies and footy clubs and people on site and help them get all their insurances in place. <clears throat> and probably around about 2015, um, you know, some changes were coming into the industry. Things were getting really hard, going to get a lot harder. And I just decided that I need to ch- um, change the industry that I'm in and, um, interestingly enough, an offer on my business came shortly after that, and I decided that I'm going to start learning as much as I can about property development. And I think that was roughly the time I started listening to your podcast. So um, a mixture of listening to your podcast and some courses that I started with was my decision to get into property development. And why property development? What, what attracted you to it? Good question. Uh, the biggest thing is I looked at what vehicle, I mean, b- the business skills I already had. I just wanted to know what ve- vehicle I was going to apply it to. And quite simply, I looked through the Forbes Rich List one, 100 list and I just saw what everyone's, uh, uh, <laughs> what everyone's doing and I saw property development, property development, property development listed numerous times and I thought, okay, and I started to look into it and that's, that's how it all started. 
Oh, so very sophisticated uh, approach in that case. Very, very sophisticated, yeah. There's there's probably a little bit more to it than that, but that's that's how it started. And had you had any involvement in property prior to that? Any investment properties or any contact or background in property? No, nothing. Um, apart from buying an investment property, which is an off-the-plan apartment, um, which I sold because it wasn't going to do too well. Um, other than that, no background um, in property development. Oh, well, you bought something off the plan. That gives you a little bit of insight into property development. Yeah, look, I suppose so, but I wouldn't do that again. <laughs> most people don't come from that background of being a buyer, an off-the-plan buyer, to then moving into property development. Usually it's a investment into some existing housing stock yeah, correct. That was that was an interesting story actually. Um drove past and the apartment was close to my mum's place and she put a deposit down. Um and then Tom came and approached me and said, I really, you know, I think you should buy this apartment and I had a look at it and I thought oh, it's a great area. So that's that's what I ended up doing. <laughs> Another sophisticated decision there. Another sophisticated decision, yes. I can assure you my decisions these days are a lot more well thought out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, let's try and get up to speed a little bit um, with where you are now because you've uh, come a long way in terms of your projects. Um, I won't steal your thunder, but get us up to speed with with your projects because you've done a number of smaller multi-unit developments. But give us a quick overview of how you started and where you're at today. Yeah, sure. Look, my first project, I have to admit, um, was in a little area called Rosebud down in the Mornington Peninsula. Um, I, would, I wouldn't say it was the best project in terms of, um, you know, all the mistakes and all the things that you shouldn't do on a property development. Uh, but it was definitely learnt a lot of lessons that uh, led me into understanding property development quite well. Um, we can go into that a little bit later, but at the moment... I think um, as it stands, there's around about nine to 10 projects in the works. Um, I say nine to 10 because there's there's one currently under due diligence, so it may or may not be a project. Um, pretty much uh, they're, they're varying. So we've got townhouses, um, land subdivisions, um, and small as a backyard deal, which I'm currently got on the market, which is quite exciting. Uh, so, yeah, varied projects um, scattered around sort of Melbourne, but mainly concentrated in the southeast. Yes, and I think one of your projects has recently been refused at council, so you're going to join me in the VCAT club. <laughs> yes. Yes, so I went through the motions. As you know, Justin, I know your pains going through councils and VCAT, so I uh, went through the motions and uh, attended a council meeting and um, spoke with objectors and went, you know, did did the whole dance, song and dance. And, yeah, now we have to progress through the VCAT, which I'm uh, in the middle of assembling the team and getting the, all the advice from people around me that have gone through it. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yes, well, hopefully you get a positive result from that. But let's go back to the beginning. So, Rosebud, why did you end up buying a block in Rosebud? Give us what size was it? Give us a sense of the project. Yeah, sure. So, initially, um, look, it's a little bit hard to talk about because it's quite a quite a tough project and it's still still ongoing. But um, 
Long story short, uh, we did a course to learn about property development and during the course um, approached a couple of friends um, and essentially said, look, we should we should do a property development. This is how it's all going to work. Um, and we ended up acquiring a block um, and with the plan to put three townhouses on there. And essentially pretty much did everything you shouldn't do, um, you know, buying incorrect structures, getting the wrong advice, um, not knowing anything about, you know, stormwater and having what we call a legal point of discharge located three streets away. Um, what else can I tell you? Build costs being grossly underestimated, you, you name it. Um, so that's that project. And then eventually we got it through council um, and came to the time where we got <laughs> official build, build estimates and realised that it's not going to work. And this was around about 2016 when shortly after the market started to turn and getting finance became very difficult after the, uh, you know, the Royal Commission and APRA rules that came into place. <coughs> and um, so we went through all of that um, and decided to just hold for a while and, and just to see what happens in the market. So at this, um, stage, then, at this stage, you had a permit for three townhouses, is that right? We ended up getting, sorry, we ended up getting a permit for three townhouses um, and then realised, you know, the project's not really going to work. The person, uh, one of the partners in the project ended up losing their jobs, so we couldn't get financing. Um, and there was a whole bunch of other issues that came out of it as well. Um, and eventually we decided to hold uh, the project. And I ended up actually going for a four-unit um, permit instead and getting it through um, the council uh, with the help of one of my mentors and now we're starting construction on that uh, shortly and going to be constructing the four townhouses and the project thankfully has turned around and um, we've got three pre-sales in place and just waiting on um, builders because of now we're facing all the build cost escalations um, to come back and uh, finalize a quote so we can start construction <clears throat> and i know that you've had a few ups and downs with that and being your first project what are some of the key lessons you've taken away from that one so far <laughs> oh so many of them uh the key ones would be making sure that you get the right advice from the start um, and i'm talking about accounting and finance advice and ensuring the person you're dealing with, you know, really understands uh, what you're trying to achieve, what you're doing, and having the right team on board. The second thing would be is just ensuring that your costs, um, you know, were quite um, green back then. So we didn't really know how much bills cost. It was just the old, yeah, two fifty a townhouse, and uh, that looks about right. Um, so really understanding your costs and understanding. Um, and having, I suppose, a mentor or somebody that can guide you through that. Um, there's so many unknowns in, in the development game. And unfortunately, you don't know them until you have to know them. And that's can be too late at times. So that would be my um, second suggestion is really understand your feasibilities and your costs really well. Oh, the good old days, hey, where you just say 250 a townhouse. Yeah, it's, it's interesting sometimes when people, uh, I speak to people even now that that concept gets thrown around, you know, and they say, oh, it's going to cost me about, you know, X amount to build a townhouse. And I go, well, how big is a townhouse? Oh, I'm not sure. 
uh, okay, what uh, is there a slope on the side? There's so many questions, and they're like, I'm not sure about all that. I'm like, okay, I think you need to dig in and uh, understand your costs a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you just finished a smaller project in the last month or two. Did you know a couple have finished in the last month or two? Yeah, so we had one in um, southeast of Melbourne, which was a four-unit development, um, and we purchased that. Me and um, some partners um, purchased that through COVID uh, and essentially just sold it a couple of months ago. And that's done really well. Um, sold at auction way above what we thought we were going to get for it, which is cool. And that uh, um, made a baseline for the other three that we sold as well. So we're just waiting on titles and settlements for those now. And uh, I also finished a backyard style project which I uh, went in and purchased um, somebody's backyard uh, in Baronia. And uh, that one's on the market right now. We built a single level dwelling. It's about double garage, three bedroom uh, on the back of someone's block. And we made an arrangement to um, pay them out <laughs> once the project's finished and, and everything's sold off. So that one's just uh, about to complete within the next month, fingers crossed. And a couple of different types of projects there. Are there similarities between them? Uh, look, in terms of, I suppose, understanding the process and going through council, you know, applying an architect, building a team, appointing a builder, in terms of process, they're quite similar. Uh, but in terms of product and location and the types of finishes and fixtures that you need, I'd say they're different. Um, you know, one advice I'd have is to make sure that whoever is planning to get into development or currently in development to understand the market, local market quite well. So I, I generally do my research before we undertake this process to ensure that we're delivering the right product. If that Does that answer your question, Justin? Yeah, and how do you go about doing that? How do you re research the local market? Uh, look, Get out on a Saturday and go to some open for inspections and have a look at, you know, the what people are wanting in the local area. Uh, speaking to agents, also um, just getting out there and really having a look at what's happening in the local area and getting a feel for what you need to deliver. Okay, and then you're using different sales agents in those areas or have you got someone that you use for all your off-the-plan sales? Good question. Uh, it really does depend on the on the type of product. So um, things that are, I suppose, selling for higher than the million-dollar mark would just be using local um, agents in that area or even, you know, for my Bronia project, um, I'm using a local agent who was very proficient with helping me on choosing tiles and fixtures and fittings based on his experience. Um, and then some projects like Rosebud, um, we've worked through um, channels, channel agents and, you know, investment groups who have helped us sell that product. Uh, so it just depends, you know, on whether we need pre-sales or not. And uh, that's, that's the biggest factor. If I need the pre-sales, then, I'll find out um, who in that area is doing quite well, what are they selling, how are they selling, because pre-sales is very, very different to a finished product. It's it's a complete different game. Um, so 
I definitely do my research and find out who's doing what in an area before I appoint an agent. <coughs> and then what about builders? Are you using local builders as a different builder for every job? Yeah, generally, again, um, builders suited to that specific area. So, for example, uh, I'd have a team, you know, a selected three builders that I use in the southeast, you know, three builders that I use in the north and for different suburbs of Melbourne. They don't all want to travel to all parts of Melbourne and they're not always keen to go to different areas uh, or, or even understand different areas. So I find some of my builders were really good. I wish I, I wish they could go to different areas, but they don't want to. So um, it's very sort of location dependent. And what about your design team or designer? Same people or you're looking for someone that's got local knowledge? That's a good question, Justin. Um, uh, how do I answer that one? I don't have a specific um, way of appointing it, but essentially, for example, on my Baronia project, I went with a local draftsman, draftsperson, and essentially they understood that council really well and could work with that council and understood their requirements. I am in at the moment in the middle of using an architect. You and I have discussed, you know, architects versus um, draftsmen or design, you know, building designers, as they call them. Um, and essentially I find that sometimes it's a challenge when that individual doesn't understand that council in intimately because different councils have their own ways of doing things. Um, so that that's a piece that I'm currently trying to work out myself for the future as well because it's, you have to really balance it out with that person being able to design something really well but also understanding the council to an extent as well. So in the past I've used, made sure I've always used local designers um, but at the moment I'm venturing out into architectural firms and working working together with a town planner to guide them. Yeah, I think it depends on the project. It's horses for courses type of approach. Um, exactly. You know, a smaller project with an experienced drafty in the area who's done lots of that type of project, probably pretty suitable. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'd, I'd go with that um, answer. It's a much better answer than my one, Justin. So if you... Smaller projects, local draftsmen, I think it'll be fine. If it's something that's bigger, I would definitely also have a town planner attached to that architectural firm to ensure that they're meeting all the local requirements. A town planner that would understand that local council quite well. So on your first project uh, down at Rosebud, did you have a town planner helping you or was it just uh, the drafty or the designer that did the design that submitted the application on your behalf? No, we had a town planner with with a designer, architect. Okay, very good. And then you've slowly gotten into bigger projects. I think your biggest one at the moment is 11 or proposed 11 townhouses. Yes, so I've got one in the uh, northwest of Melbourne, uh, which is a proposal for 11 townhouses. Um, I actually acquired that site myself. Um, by dropping a letter off to to the individual house and then ended up negotiating directly. <clears throat> it's turned out to be quite a um, decent deal just based on the and, uh, land uplift alone. 
um, because I acquired it at the start of COVID. And then as we know, everything in sort of rural Victoria has just gone um, skyrocketed post-COVID. So uh, it's done It's done okay from that point of view. However, we are going to have to go to VCAT and, and see if we can get an outcome there. And what would you say the differences have been on that slightly larger project than, say, some of the smaller ones that you've done so far? <clears throat> Good question. Uh, I think the biggest difference is the amount of community um, that gets involved when there's a bigger project involved um, and having, you know, the council's involvement and objectives to deal with um, and their points of view has been very challenging. In terms of the project itself, it meets all the planning requirements, it ticks all the boxes. As a matter of fact, we've also got a recommendation to accept the proposal from the council planner, um, which I find is a very odd process where the council planner has accepted it, but the council has themselves has rejected it. So essentially they're arguing between themselves now. Um, yeah. But I'd say that's that's been the biggest difference for me is I haven't really dealt with having to attend a council meeting and dealing with objectors and all, all that type of stuff before. Yeah, I had a similar experience where the council planner recommended that we get a permit for 17 instead of 19 and the council has just ignored that and refused the whole thing. So it's a bit frustrating. Yeah, I'm sure you don't want to go down that conversation today, but yes, it's a very uh, it's a very interesting process. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me, um, some of it, especially given the fact that we're going through housing affordability crisis and, you know, um, apparently the supply of homes are quite low and we're needing more and that whole process just doesn't make sense to me how it fits within the overall goal of the state. But, you know, again, that's another rabbit hole. <laughs> oh, yes, don't get me on my soapbox, Baz, while we're on the podcast. <laughs> we'll be here for ages. So tell me, know. what do you think you've learned about yourself from doing your property developing? Good question. Uh, I'd say about myself, well, what I've learned is just my ability to take challenges um, I found property development, you know, the biggest skill you need is problem solving. And this is, I'd say, why perhaps some people don't progress in their journey in the development game is because the, the challenges and the problems are, are, you know, weekly, if not daily. And you just have to be very good at resolving and solving them and coming up with really good solutions. So that's one thing I've learned. The other thing I've learned is just harnessing relationships really well um, and, and, and maintaining relationships with your consultants, with your advisors and your team um, and the importance of that. Uh, so I'd say that's probably the two biggest things I've uh, learned throughout the process or learned about myself. Oh, well, Baz, I've just uh, got my book back, How to Be, you know, Become a Million Dollar Property Developer, and they are two points that I make pretty clearly in the book around people that are aspiring or thinking of getting into property development. Problem solving and relationships, that's really what it boils down to. Absolutely. Uh, 110% those two things. And just really... Um, I suppose having a bigger vision, having a big vision as to why you're doing it, um, it's very important. You know, you and I are both the students of Dr. Martini, um, 
and having a vision and why you're doing what you're doing is going to be very important to the times when you don't want to do it. That's something. So, and, and again, going back to your why and, you know, the reasons why you're in this game in the first place. Yep. There's certainly plenty of challenges and hurdles to overcome, but that's what keeps a lot of people out of it. So it keeps those barriers up. Speaking Absolutely. of barriers, or what would you say is the biggest challenge that you've faced so far? Uh, the biggest challenge I've faced, I'd say, would be uh, adversity in terms of um, family. My, unfortunately, about a year ago, my uh, father passed away and um, my business was growing rapidly during that time. Uh, and, and I had to deal with that and also ensure that I'm keeping up with the demands and the growth of the business. I suppose that, that was one of the biggest challenges I've faced and it seemed to be in the last year my business has grown exponentially uh, while dealing with that, you know, during COVID and lockdowns and was a massive challenge for me. So I um, have to say I've, I think I've done quite well coming out the other end of it, but um, nonetheless, very, very tough time. <clears throat> and you mentioned that you got some help from a mentor. Yep. How did that make a difference? Um, it, the mentor that I've been working with for two years now uh, really helped me think on a different level, um, especially with scaling my business and thinking about the development business as a business and not just, you know, a side hustle or something that I'm going to attend to at some point in the day. And structuring it so and helping me think on a different level, such as things like marketing, pre-sales, and and where my business is going to be heading in the next sort of five years. Um, and also the Rosebud project that I mentioned, um, he's actually helped me turn that around uh, from a three to four unit site and, and uh, get it out at at a profit, which has been pretty big for me um, and enabled me to take those learnings into my other projects. Well, should we make mention of, of who your mentor is? Things is uh, they have been a past guest on the show, but only if you're comfortable mentioning their name. Yeah, sure. It's, uh, his name's Lay. Um, and I think he was on about two, two, last show or two shows ago or something like that. Yeah, only a couple of episodes ago now. So it's kind of uh, fortuitous timing to have you on. And I'm talking about your own experience getting some mentoring. I mean, I've seen the transformation that uh, has taken place with you and how you've managed to transform your Rosebud project and go on and take things to another level. So it's obviously made a big difference. Oh, absolutely, Justin. It's um. It was the thing I really needed. I was at the point of just absolute frustration and, um, you know, wondering if if I'm going to move forward with this industry or is it working and so many questions that had come up. And plus COVID came around and I thought, oh, we don't, there goes another bump in the road. Um, so it was a bit of massive leap of faith for me at that time. I think it, I actually joined up with him when the lockdown got announced. Um, so worked really hard over the last two years put a lot of effort and time and as you said to to get to the business to where to where it is now 
And so if you could go back to the beginning of when you're getting into property developing, what is the one thing that you would say to yourself to do differently or to focus on? Good question. Um, only one. Oh, no. You, <laughs> you choose. If you've got more than one, feel free to share them with us. Yeah, sure. Look, firstly, uh, I wouldn't change anything. The journey has been fantastic and um, the first one or not going so well has taught me so much. I just always think if I'd reversed it and it went well, maybe I'd be very arrogant right now and maybe I'd be very on my high horse thinking, well, I've done really well and it's always going to be like that forever. So I'm glad that it went the other way. But if, if I had to go back and I suppose change something, it would be... Um, it would be getting the right mentor involved in the first place. That's very that's a very important step that's happened in my career. Um, and the second thing would be just consider building the development as a business. So not treating it as something that's just um, on the side, but actually running it as a business. Um, I'd say it would be the two things that I would, I would have done differently. Yeah, that's interesting. I think you're right around taking a business mindset into developing because I think can, people can take a, a hobbyist type approach to their projects and, and that may be what it is, a project on the side, just do one every two years or three years and that's fine. But if you want to take it to the next level, I think you, you do need that business mindset. Definitely, yeah, and and essentially that it, it it is you need to apply principles of business and and ensure that you're thinking about future staff, you're thinking about how to systemize and put things into a order and and organize your business in such a way where, for myself personally, where someone's going to come in and take care of some of those tasks that I may not want to do in the next year or so, you know, I have staff supporting you, and so you're only sitting in more of a strategic slash the areas of the business that you want to be sitting in uh, and that are important. So um, that's my biggest advice. Yeah, well, the number one thing for me is cash flow. Setting up a business, you yeah. need cash flow. Otherwise, you've got no lifeblood of your business. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, that, that's a whole other rabbit hole in itself. But definitely, yeah, you need to think about cash flow. It's, uh, I think, the biggest killer of any property development business or any property developer is just the timing and, and spacing and getting such large chunks of cash, which takes sometimes, you know, three years, um, four years to come back come back the other way. Um, that, actually, that's one thing that I forgot to mention is that people really need to consider time in this business. It's very important. Um, I don't think, you know, a lot of people talk about profits and what they've done and how, how they've done it, but not a lot of people talk about the time and the risk involved. Um, everything takes a lot longer than you think. You know, when sometimes I see these property guys up there going, oh, yeah, it takes about two years to get in and out of project, and I just think, okay, does it really? Um, because things just drag on and on and on and on. So you have to be very mindful of your time and your cash flow. Well, it's funny you should say that because this or in the past month I've, Financially closed out my um, last project, which long-term listeners of this show will know has taken me 
probably close to five years to finish. <laughs> but it all officially wrapped up in the last month, Every, all the money being distributed out of the bank account and in the process of winding up the entity. So, yes, it can take a lot longer than you think sometimes. That was meant to take two and a half years, that project, three years. <laughs> well, congratulations. Um, uh, thank you. Yeah, it was nice to... Nice to have that one officially in the rearview mirror. <laughs> well, I don't think I'm far off behind you with Rosebud, so we'll we'll see who ends up taking longer. <laughs> yeah, well, lots of lessons learnt there. So, well, what would you say is your top lesson that you've learned, or the top tip that you would give to another property developer that might be aspiring to get to a similar level to you? I'd say know your numbers really understand and know your numbers really well. And that includes all the small numbers that you may not be aware of and getting the right help either with an accountant or a mentor or somebody who knows what they're doing to enlighten you on what those numbers are. Just as an example, I think um, when you speak to an agent or when you speak to some people out there, the, the numbers can be quite um, light, you know. Buy a land for 750 spend another 100000 for your other costs, build a, you know, townhouse with 300 each and then you, your profit's this much. But the reality of that is there's agents' costs, there's, you know, infrastructure costs, there's council contributions, there's, um, you know, contingencies, there's all sorts of stuff you have to be mindful of. So... Um, if you know your numbers, then you can eliminate a lot of those issues by just looking at a site, you know, plugging in all your numbers and all the fat that's required and going, all right, well, this works and that that doesn't. Um, and the other thing is m- most development sites don't actually work. As we know, Justin, I mean, I, I take a look at so many sites and I'd say very rarely does something across take, come across my desk that actually works. Um, and even then, you get hit with a last-minute surprise. Uh, so, <laughs> if you don't, if you want to make sure that you're uh, keeping your cash and your cash flow, know your numbers really well, and have your business plan ready. Um, you know, well, how many projects do you want to do? How much money is that going to take? How are you going to get that money? Um, you know, what is that going to roll into after that? Just, just having a solid business plan and working with the right people to develop that. Um, I think are the two most important things. Yes, very true. The One of the only rules of thumb that seems to work in property developing is start off with your initial margin and then just watch it erode <laughs> slowly away. <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. Exactly. There's a lot of uh, stories out there of everyone who made money, but there's also a lot of stories of people who didn't. So you just don't hear about those ones. No, that's right. People tend to keep mum when they didn't make any money, which is actually unfortunate because I would love to get people on the show who were happy to have a frank conversation about where things went wrong. Like what happened? What what were the warning signs? Or particularly for things that didn't go as expected. I mean, there'll be plenty of projects where just someone overpaid at the beginning and yeah, there's nothing mysterious about that, but there'll be plenty of other projects where something happened, things happened along the way that just sort of snowballed and led to something going horribly wrong, but it's very hard to get people to talk publicly about that or talk about it at all. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I do understand that. They probably just want to put it behind them and not mention it. But hopefully, look, my rosebud and your project that's uh, taken five years will enlighten some people that it's not all uh, flowers and roses. <laughs> no, that's true. Uh, what about best piece of advice you reckon you've received along the way? I'd say the best piece of advice I've received in, in life would definitely come from uh, my father and that would be, you know, what goes around comes around. And I say that in the context of, you know, what you really put out there is where you'll get back. Um, I am definitely can tell you that's happened a number of times with me. You know, you look after people, you're going to attract the right people in your life who are going to look after you and, and vice versa. So that's my biggest piece of advice. If you can just do the right thing, do the right thing. Very good. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, any other uh, comments or points you want to make before we start to wrap things up? Yeah, I've actually got an interesting question for you, Justin. <laughs> okay, very good. So I don't know if you've ever been asked this before, but uh, from all your um, podcast guests that you've had, well, what is your three biggest learnings and takeaways after interviewing so many different people? That is a very good question. Lucky I've got the power of editing, Baz, and I can cut and chop <laughs> things out if I need to, but I'm happy to answer that question. Uh, the number one thing that I've learnt is cash flow, uh, which came from speaking with the guy who used to be the CEO of Fraser's, Rod Ferring. That was a key point that he made. He said, if you don't have any cash flow, then you don't have a business. Mm. And that's yeah. really stuck with me. And that's only been in the last couple of years. I spoke to Rod during COVID. And so I've really spent the last 18 months getting cash flow channels through the business. Yep. So that is probably a, a long way in front from everything else. So talking to all the people. Yep. That idea of cash flow. The second one was something that I picked up from a guy called Danny Chama. We did apartment, a lot of nice apartment projects around Melbourne and he's still doing some. Actually, his latest one is down near you at Rosebud. But one of the things that Danny said was if you want to get A-grade results from your project, then you need A-grade location. Yeah. Like don't buy in a B-grade location and expect to get A-grade results. Good advice. So that was something that um, has stuck with me. And then the other is fairly generic and it's just around getting the best talent that you can afford on your team and not looking at those investments as an expense but rather spending to get good quality advice which may have a higher upfront cost but if they really are good, talented people who have expertise should save you in the longer run, whether that's over the life of a project or even on a, on a longer term scale over a career, then it's worth paying 
that extra amount of money. For example, with say with a with architects or with with ex extra design costs at the front, it might cost you more in the beginning, but you should get a more efficient build and more efficient design that will be more cost effective to build. So you're yeah, saving money in the construction part of the project. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that one. I actually had that one. Uh, but I had it a bit differently called the poor man pays twice and uh, very true in property development. Um, yeah, you could definitely hire the wrong people and have to cost yourself a lot in the wrong, long run. So that's good yeah, advice. I, I think when you're getting started, there's a real temptation to go for the cheapest. Correct. Like, can I get the cheapest engineer? Can I get the cheapest drafty? Can I get the cheapest builder? Everything's, I just want the lowest cost and actually touch on this in my book. It's like, don't be a cheapskate, but, but be conscious about what it costs. Go for value. Don't go for yeah, cheap, yeah. go for um, best value. I absolutely agree with that. Um, understanding what value people bring is so important. And yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that 100%. So there's a couple. Uh, I'd also you've also touched on relationships. That's something that I've learned from talking to people. It's just the value of having good people or experienced people around you, and the difference that they can make. Particularly if you're inexperienced, then you have try and find people who are more experienced than you on your team, or that can help you through a phase of your of your development, personal and professional. Thank you. It's okay. It's nice of I've you. I've got no take... more questions. <laughs> nice of you to have a takeover of my show. Start, start asking me questions, Baz. <laughs> I think one, one day you might want to do a reverse one where you get interviewed. Yes, yeah, so I've had, I've been on a couple of other podcasts, and it is a bit um, weird being on the other side of the microphone. Um, having to answer the questions than the one firing the <laughs> questions away. All right. Well, we're closing in on the finish line here, Baz. Got anything else you um, would like to ask or would like to say before we wrap things up? No, that's it, mate. Thank you very much for having me on. Um, I enjoyed this and um, look forward to hearing it. Well, thanks for being on the show. Uh, where can people find out more about you if they might be interested? Uh, we're on Instagram, EQ Property Group, shows a lot of what we're doing on there. I'm pretty active, so that, that would be the best place. Yep. Fantastic. Yes, you do post some good stuff on Insta for people that might want to see your projects and what you're up to. So check out EQ Property Group. And thanks for coming on the show and giving us an update. It's been awesome watching your journey over the last couple of years, going from aspiring developer to actual property developer and then dealing with all the problems along the way and getting <laughs> into multiple projects it's been it's been pretty awesome so congratulations on what you've achieved so far thank you justin thanks for your support mate really appreciate it that's okay good to talk to you you too cheers see you buzz You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.